Hey guys, and welcome to the Three Drinks In podcast, episode number 224. I'm your host, Vince. Over there is your host, Phil. You. In this episode, we are talking about the long-awaited Dune from director Denis Villeneuve. We'll figure it out. Uh, Before we get into all that, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and do try and leave a rating or even a review. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Three Drinks in Pod. You can like us on Facebook, and you can uh, send us uh, compliments and questions and money to Three Drinks in Podcast at Gmail dot com. So, I find that very distracting whenever I like go on a like on my phone to like, like I sort of like long press on a contact to go you know call their cell phone number, send them a text message, send them cash. And I'm like, wait, what? No, I don't want that to be like an option. It's next send to my cash. thumb. That's <laughs> an option? Yeah, on an iPhone, you can send somebody money through like their, like the messaging app. Oh. I thought yeah. of you yesterday. I bought three songs off of iTunes, <laughs> like on a list. Like they were one right after the other, right? One, two, three. And every song made me put in my password. You should, I couldn't the, believe it. <laughs> you're the couldn't only person I know that is prompted as frequently as that by Apple. I, and, and the last time I did it, it was like there was an option that popped up that was like, do you want us to turn this on all the time instantaneously? Or do you want to wait a few minutes between songs? And I'm pretty sure I clicked. Give me a second. <laughs> it's probably still me buying music. Like, unless somebody swoops in like Tarzan and kicks me out of my chair and decides to buy another song within the first 10 seconds, just assume it's me still buying songs. I just sat there like, I can't believe it wants to know again. (laughs) Well, I guess it just wants to know why you're buying songs. Because no one's it's their service. Well, they don't really, want me to oh, buy no, music. Oh, no, they'll sell it to you. Don't get me wrong. Just, well, that that, that Tim Cook I? is no fool. These people don't really do that anymore. They they use. But I want to hear. But I want to hear something specific. Right. Well, that's what Apple Music is for, or Spotify. Like they have pretty much everything you'd want to hear specifically. They have it. The only thing that I've I have found that Apple Music does not have is a very specific song that my kids want to listen to. I can't think of the name of it now because I tried to convince them never to play it again because it's only on, like, Amazon music. But it's, like, yeah, it's, it's the Five Little Ducks by the Kaboomers. That one didn't make the catalog, apparently. <laughs> so I got to bring up Amazon music to play that one whenever we want to hear that. But it's been, it's been a while. I'm hoping that that one's phased out we can all move on with our lives. But we'll see. Anyway. So. Dune. People really like Dune. People do. People are very, very big into it. Dune and the Lord of the Rings sort of occupy uh, the same sort of fever pitch intensity. You know, the people who are, like, really into Dune and people who are, like, really into Lord of the Rings. And I actually just, I actually just began to read Dune. I'm about 16% of the way through the book because I, I I got it on my Kindle and I don't know what page I'm on, but I know that I'm 16% of the way through the book. And it is interesting. It's Yeah, I, I sort read of a lot. Dune... I read Dune in high school like years ago because it was on the list of like classic things people should read. And I went out and got, and I just this summer gave that copy away. I donated it. I threw it in the donation bin because I, I didn't like it. It it was like unbelievably complex and confusing and the names were complicated and the political intrigue, like I remember reading it and being like, I mean, I finished it, but I was like, I really don't like this. And it sat on my shelf for 20 years. I mean, I, I left high school a while ago and I finally got rid of that copy. I was like, ah, I'll probably never read this again. What do I need this for? <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
it isn't like they're gonna make another Dune movie. Yeah, the like first it, one was so <laughs> successful. I mean, it's not that popular, even though the guy wrote like five or six other novels, and people kept writing after him. So his son, <laughs> whatever. His son picked, uh, you know, did a few after he died too. Yeah. So I'm not gonna go out and get another copy now. But, <laughs> um, I mean, I remembered enough of it too. Like it, it stands out. But I was definitely like, it, it's a lot like the the sci-fi version of the Lord of the Rings, or but worse because it's so overly complicated. It, it's, it's dense. There's a lot going on in Dune. Yeah. Yeah. It's all it's it's, it's, not, dense. it's not beach reading. No, it's although I'm I'm like I I read so little now. I've just been so like I'm trying to go. I'm gonna finish Dune. I'm just I'm going to do it because like I have to finish something. And I've I've tried to read a lot of nonfiction lately, and I just haven't been able to hold it in my head. So I just I I figure I'll just it's it, it's not difficult to read in the sense that like it's like the language isn't too complex. Um, it's structured in a challenging way because it gives you like. A little quotation at the beginning of each chapter, which you're not quite sure what you're reading exactly, and then you find out, maybe six or seven chapters in, like, oh, this is like a history of the thing I'm reading. So I'm reading it in real time, and then I'm, you know, getting a sort of, you know, hindsight approach to it in, in, in like a blurb at, at the beginning of each chapter. So you're getting foreshadowing, and then you're getting the actual events. And, um, that's, yeah, that's kind of confusing at first. And, you know, and they're, it's one of those things like it's, someone had, had, had described it as sort of hard sci-fi and it's not hard sci-fi, hard sci-fi, I, I, you know, is something more like, you know, interstellar, like something that Christopher Nolan does where he wants to kind of get it right. And they lean into the science as a driver of the plot. The Martian is a good example of a hard sci-fi movie. And this is not that. And I heard somebody else describe it as fantasy. And it's really not that either. It kind of straddles the sci-fi fantasy genres pretty robustly. Like I think Jonathan Last from the Sub Beacon podcast was talking about it. And to, like he was bothered by the fact that there was references to real things, like you know meters, like in measurements, and coffee, and you know real names like Paul and Jessica, and yet there are other guys who had really bizarre names, and and it's I actually he was bothered by that, and I'm actually not bothered by it so much. They in the film they give you a like a time frame, but. I haven't quite got there in the book if they do. But basically, I I see this as like, you know, what if Firefly went even further into the future kind of a thing? Because in Firefly, the whole thing was that, you know, they, they would re- refer to Earth that was. And it was almost mythical. But they knew that it was a real place. And they all came from there. And then like, this is, I've been traveling for a long, long time. Well, Dune takes place in, you know, 8,000 years from now. So... It's grounded in who we are, which is where the sci-fi elements come in, and then it's fantastical in every other aspect of its uh, of its setting because it's so far into the future. So yeah, it's 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 sort of like once you kind of like realize that that's where you are, I think that kind of helps you a little bit with with the book and that like you know it's it's real. But it's, you know, it's so far away that it might as well be completely alien because there's no mention of aliens. It's not it's not that weird. But. Yeah, there's no know. aliens. Yeah. Yeah. No, I always looked at it. It was just it was just fantasy, you know, and, and it took it, place in, in space. Yeah. It, it functions more like fantasy in general, but I think that it's grounded in. In who we are is very, very helpful in a lot of ways. Like, it kind of like, you know, pe- people have said that, you know, human nature has no history and that people, human beings are who they are and they're going to act the, like the same way no matter what year it is. And so whereas in, like, certain sci-fi things, you get away from that. Like, Star Trek gets away from that dramatically because Star, Star, Star Trek's human beings are so good and good nature that you rarely come across 
you know, any real conflicts. This is the opposite of that. It's, you know, it's grounded in a, in a human reality that, that brings with it all of the political intrigue and trappings of inter, interpersonal relationships that you get in, you know, any other genre, you know. But anyway, uh, so you, you saw this movie in the theater or no? No, I, I didn't go to the theater. I wasn't going to pay for it twice. Okay. <laughs> That's how I looked at it. But I did sit closer to the television and like turn the lights off and everything and like sit down and watch it. I didn't look at my phone the entire time because um, not because I'm a big believer in giant screens. It's just, you know, it's easier to watch a movie when you're not distracted. And everyone was talking up how big an event this was supposed to be. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this an event without having to leave my house. So I watched it at home and, you know, I got a big TV, so it's fine. Mm. Um, it, it was fine. I don't have any emotional attachment to this movie. So that was good in terms of like, here's a good fantasy sci-fi movie that isn't the Avengers <laughs> and isn't Star Wars, yeah. you know? So it was it was good enough in in that way and and i read the book so i knew what was going on and i think they did a pretty decent job of adapting the book i mean they they leave out they still leave out huge chunks um which is fine it's it's extremely streamlined um without compromising the fact that it's like science fiction kind of thing uh I, I forgot it was only one part. <laughs> they didn't yeah. advertise it as one part. No, they Very didn't. They didn't hide the fact. But they didn't exactly scream it from the rooftops either. <laughs> yeah. was... Well, every trailer said Dune. And then when it came up on the screen and it says Dune part one. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. Like It should have just said Dune. We already have your money. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. So you might as well you might as well just sit there for the next two and a half hours. And like okay. Event Infinity War was part one. But Yeah, I was really know. see, but they yeah, they, but they didn't uh they they didn't quite Well everyone did, knew did, that was gonna be because they renamed it. It was gonna be part one, part two, and then they changed it. So did that leak, and I just missed it? It didn't leak. It came out that way. You just you just missed that one. Okay, yeah, because I definitely missed it, and I I was annoyed. I'm like, oh, that all, all of that was just. If I had known that, I would have been really. Yeah, I I'd have been better off. I I was really pissed at the end of that movie because like the whole thing. There's no way Spider Man got killed. Shut up! Like there's just that wasn't possible. But um, um, yeah, see, I was prepared for you to hate this movie, and I, I think because of the gif you sent me of the lady from from Titanic, it's well, been it eighty four <laughs> years. It was definitely too long. The the it had horrendous pacing issues that I really didn't like. It felt long, you know. And everyone who says it doesn't feel long is an idiot or loves it too much. Like they have that that connect. I don't have this emotional connection to this, to this material. So at some points where it was really dragging, I was like, oh my God, like just get to it. <laughs> or or in some parts, slow down. Yeah. Because at some parts it was way too fast. You know, like the pacing was really off. Yeah, I when I saw, but so I didn't I, hate it. You know, I just <laughs> thought thought it was I thought it was fine. I thought it was good. I'll I, I'll stick around and watch the rest <laughs> when it comes out. Yeah, I um, I actually went and and I didn't have many options for where to see it, and you know, it's one of the things I've been I think most frustrated by as the pandemic is starting to wind down. In addition to supply chain issues that people are having in terms of getting goods and services. Um, but movie theaters are simply not running anywhere near at capacity. Like they're just not just capacity, but like, you know, they're they're not even running at like quarter steam. So like, this is a big movie. It's going to be a big movie for like two, three weeks. I don't think anything's coming out 
to compete with it directly for a little while. And it had like four showings on a Friday. That was it. Like, you know, a, a, a film like this is going to be, you know, in a 20 theater venue. It's going to have three screens. It's going to be running constantly, even though it's a long run time. So the, the turnover isn't quite so dramatic. But it's like, you know, there's nobody working at these places. There's just, there's not. Uh, that, that's a lot of it, too. Yeah. That's, that, I think that's probably the biggest thing besides nobody who's going to the movies as as they used to, is that, like, no one's working there. So how, how do you staff the whole goddamn thing? Yeah. Like, I used to go at 9, 10 in the morning, and now they don't even open till like, 1. <laughs> yeah, that was... I, yeah. I had a day off, and I'm like, I'll just go to the movies. Oh, nothing is playing until 6. Well, yeah, hell, there's, that sucks. There's, no, there's nobody going, so, like, why open? And then I can't staff it, and, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a bummer. So like I I went to an eight o'clock showing of this movie at the same theater where you and I saw No Time to Die and you if you if you recall there's twenty five minutes of previews like it's guaranteed. Oh God, that was it's, that was something. It's the <laughs> it's the worst thing about that theater is that it's there's almost a yeah. half an hour of not so like I I can actually it was, it was shocking like you could feel people in the room being like again another yeah. like it really went on a while yeah like it's. It, it's the, it's it's one of those things that like the, the the great thing about that theater or rather I I would say that the the compensation for that is since you can reserve your seat you don't have to get there on time you can literally show up whenever the hell you want and chances are you're not going to be you know miss the beginning of your movie so I was running late and like we you know we had to put the kids to bed and I had to have dinner and then like I got there at like eight. 15 i still had 10 minutes i had like two trailers to sit through at that point i'm like all right like nice not to be in a rush but i didn't didn't leave there till 11 o'clock at night and i've been up since five so that's a long time but i was surprised and i you know i think i could not have watched this movie having been awake for all that time and like been tired at home I would have I would have hated it. I'd have been bored. I'd have been on my phone. I would, I would have to have put the phone in another room just to keep myself from looking at it randomly. I mean, yeah, um, it, it forces you to to watch the movie. And and I've been in theaters where I'm like, oh god, this movie sucks. And I'm like taking notes for the podcast on my phone. And you know, I sometimes I just want to do that so I, so so I don't forget things. But um, but there was a real benefit for me at least seeing this. In an IMAX theater, because you get the size, which is great, and and it was shot, I think, largely on IMAX. I can't always tell. I think it has to do with the aspect ratio. Like it's more of a square when it's an IMAX. Um, and most of it I could tell was in that 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 uh, that ratio. And then, um, and then like the, the sound, like it's it wasn't the Dolby theater that we you know we we saw bond in but it was still like giant speakers and so the sound in in, in this movie is just bananas and yeah. i i can't imagine like that i think is actually more than the screen and the screen you know the screen size is an important factor in how to really enjoy this film as it was designed but the soundscape you know Nobody has a theater like a home theater. Nobody that we know, even if they have like a fancy like nine point one Dolby surround, could do this justice. I mean, it was just it was it was it was bone shattering, you know. And I and it wasn't even like that super loud theater. It was just like just big speakers and like a subwoofer the size of my car. Hmm. You know, like it. It was just it was it made it for a much more. I hate to use the word immersive experience than I, I kind of expected it to be. I figured, all right, it'll be big, it'll be loud, it'll be it's a kind of epic y type movie and like no, it was like they did a wonderful job with that sound. So I was really shocked how much I liked this movie. Like I kinda wanna watch it again. A, because there was things I'm sure I missed, and B, like it, it was just it was breathtaking in some regards. It really, really was. And so I but you know, I expected the uh, certain things to kind of, 
I don't know, like not endear it to you at all. <laughs> so like, I'm going to have to defend this, aren't I? But not so much. So that's good. Not, not that much. I mean, I guess you really, really liked it, or yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of that is the function of this, of the way in which I saw it. I think if I, you know, even if it, if I'd seen it on like the little rinky-dink theater in town here, which only does like one preview <laughs> and then calls it a day. Um, I, I actually don't think I would have liked that as much. Like, I think it really needed to be that big because it's just a big movie. Like, everything about it is massive. And, I mean, it's it seems that Dune, like, it has a tone. Like, there's there's not a lot of, you, you, you can't tell, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm only 16% of the way through the book, but you can't tell the whole story from the book to the you know and i think that that's what they tried to do in the in the 84 version which i think we should watch as a comparison because this is such a weird kind of story that i'm curious to see how badly that was mangled because i have to think that the low bar that was set by that movie informed my reaction to this one like i i've never seen the 84 dune uh, from from david lynch there are a few different versions of it now, but I know that it was universally panned. Like people hated it, and you know, it, it was one of those big, expensive Dino De Laurentiis movies where they basically spent forty million and got back thirty, and that's not how it works. <laughs> you got to make more than that, and so because everyone had you know knew about this famous flop. And I figured, well, they're going to make it again, but now we're going to do it right because we have the money and the technology. I, I, well, I'm like, that's not always a guarantee. And, um, and so, like, the bar was set really low going into it. So I kind of, I'm kind of curious now to see how bad how bad that was. So, like, there's so much you have to communicate in terms of information that. I wonder how much of that information is just that you can do visually. And I think that that's what they focused on. It's like, we don't have to tell them what things mean. We just have to show that the people on the screen find them to be important. It's like you're, you're giving away a lot of information through how things feel. And you do that by making them look and sound a certain way not by explaining to the audience, this is why this is important. You know? Like the the scene in the movie, when, like in, in the beginning, when, when the Emperor's Herald shows up, which is actually not in the book. If it is in the book, like men it's mentioned later as like an aftermath. But like the book begins with them packing to leave for Dune after this guy's already come and said, you're, you know, you're taking over Dune. Good luck. Um, but that scene in its, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff happening in there that they don't explain any of it. The Mentat thing, with the guy where, where his eyes go in the back of his head for a second, where he, where he does some quick math, which is mm. sort of a huge part of the book. Um, the, 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 you know, it just, so the, the, the grandioseness of it, the, you know, just the way everyone kind of reacts to the person showing up there and some basic information about what's like, they give you like how much it cost this guy to drive there and give them some piece of information. Apparently that was an expensive round trip, mm -hmm. you know? And so like all of that was conveyed with this sort of heaviness to it, this sort of awkward formality. And a lot of that, it's not written, it's just how things are presented. You know the the way which they arrive on the on the planet, you know, just the way things are shot. Like everything about the movie was 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 designed to convey a feeling and not information. And I think that that was really helpful because you can, if if you're paying any attention, you're getting a lot of data just by looking at what what they're showing you. They're not being sloppy or lazy with anything. Everything's very deliberate, so they're able to give you information without talking to you. Which was really interesting, I thought. So, but um, all right. So, what about it? Did you particularly enjoy? Um, I particularly enjoyed. Um, 
Now I can't think of anything. (laughs) (laughs) I think there was, I think there was just enough of that exposition and stuff. I mean, whenever you have a movie like this, you have to give exposition. It's just part of it. You can't get away with it without it. You know, I mean, the Lord of the Rings leaned into this by just, here's a 10 minute prologue, everybody. Sorry. And they, they get away with it, with the visuals and everything. It's exciting. And, and uh, it's clear. And in this, there's so much that they're giving you that I'd say like half of it is visual and, and things like that. And the other half is just voiceover and like him listening to those like little hollow books that like have holographic projectors and stuff, you know, it was all done clever enough that you can understand it. Um, and I thought it was particularly well cast. I didn't realize that was Javier Bardem until. Yes. Yeah. There's nobody in this who isn't somebody, nobody. I, yeah. I mean, I think Dave Batista is doing his Dave Batista's, and uh, Jason Momoa was himself, but you know that was fine. Yeah, he was good though. I I I actually thought that, especially in like the second half of the film when he shows up and he's like, take like you know it's there's not a lot of depth to it, but it's not that shallow either. He's 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 a he's a he's a big presence. You know, he's entering in the, into that Will Smith territory where this is what he brings to everything. But I don't know; that, that could be worse. He also looked interesting without a beard. Yeah, yeah. it took me a minute to figure out what was what was off because I didn't. I'm like, what's wrong with his face? And then I was like, oh, he doesn't have his beard. And I think that that was like I wonder why they made that choice. I think it had to do with the fact that he couldn't, you couldn't be on. Arrakis with you know and like wear certain things without or, or, or rather while he was bearded he needed to be clean be, be, be clean shaven but the more I think about that no that's not that's not true so I, like, I wonder why that why they made that choice um yeah I mean maybe he just didn't want to did he have it in the beginning and then he shaved it I think he did because he stood out like oh there's 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 Aquaman yeah you know, like Maybe it was supposed to be like hot, but then again, like the guys, like the like the the Fremen guys have beards. Yeah, like, like they have beard. Javier Bardem's character has a beard. Like a lot of them have beards. Like I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll Google it later and figure it out. But like it oh, yeah. it it was it was jarring. Cause like why does he look weird? Oh, because he's missing his beard. Mm-hmm. So, but um, um, but I, yeah, I thought the casting was good. Um. And, and the way that everything is doled out, you know, it helped that I knew what the what the book was about. But I think even if you really didn't know anything, like you, yeah, it, no, it's, it's at not, least it's, like you could follow it enough. Yeah, it's not it's not a, um, imperative that you have read the book. And I actually think that watching the movie first and then reading the book is actually helping me with the book because yeah, they complement each other pretty well. They really, really do, and like. Not having any visual framework, so for for example, the um the Baron, played by uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who's made to look like Marlon Brando <laughs> in um, Apocalypse Now, um, that like basically like I I got that he's so fat that he can't his legs can't support his own girth. And so he has these things welded into his um, spine to help him float around and just get around. And I got that visually and it's referenced in the book, but I don't know that if I would, if I would have really understood what that looked like, like floating things, like the technology in this story is very weird in the sense that like there's certain aspects of their civilization that are technologically superior and certain ones that are not and they actually do i think a really bad job i'm not sure if this is deliberate or not of explaining any of it like i i basically wanted to read the book so i could understand that thing mm. you know why is it they have spaceships and they can travel faster than light but they don't have laser blasters they have blow darts and swords and 
like there's like one sentence in the beginning of the book where it says like we don't use lasers because they're expensive, they don't work very well, and if they hit the shield, everything explodes. So it becomes counterproductive to shoot somebody with a laser because every you you you, you will all die. Fighting with you know swords and knives and things is just more effective and it's safer. You know, okay, fine. So and I think the whole thing about I mean, the basic, the crux of the movie is that they have to get this spice off the planet because they gave up on, like, supercomputers because it made them lazy. That's not hinted at all. So, like, before the book starts, they had androids and robots and supercomputers, but, like, they went berserk or evil or something. They They had wars and fights over it. And so they determined that the safest way to for humans to survive is to not build them anymore. Like, it's not worth it. The problem was they couldn't find a way to navigate through space without, like, running into a planet or something without it. And then they found out that the spice gives them this these prescient visions and dreams, which allows them to compensate for that. So they need the spice to get through space because they can't program the computers to do it anymore. It's against the law. And the only place they can find the spice is on this desert planet. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. I guess it's just—it's actually not fascinating the, to me because yeah, it's, it's like, that's not in the movie. <laughs> it's a completely original way of thinking about the future. Like usually, we think of the future as like you know we either go the Star Trek route or the Terminator route. You have two choices: you can have the you know have the, the technology work for you, or you can be killed by the technology. One or the other, and in this, they kind of have it both ways. They get taken over by the by Skynet, and then they overcome Skynet, and then they find a way to utilize their own brains with a chemical substance. You know, it's basically shrooms. What they're talking about. Apparently, Herbert was really really big into um, uh, Lawrence of Arabia and uh, getting high. And so this is what the guy, you know, ended up writing about. But, like, it's just a very original way of thinking about what would we do in the future to enable ourselves to take advantage of technology that we know to be dangerous. like Or that we, you know, now, and this is written in the 60s, there were fears about technology then. There are even more now. Like, how do we circumvent that? And very clever. <laughs> wouldn't have occurred to me so anyway but um but i think where i where where i was going before that but um anyway so other things that that you liked about it that's about it (laughs) i um it was a it was a good script. Where, where were the points where you felt that it went too fast? Because one of the things I definitely liked was that they didn't really give you a lot of verbal exposition for things. There was a couple of voiceovers by Zendaya in the beginning, but they really said like we're going to err on giving them less because it ultimately doesn't matter all that much. Like, it doesn't really matter why you need the spice. We need the spice. It's the MacGuffin. It's the thing that we're all there to get. Um, so they erred on the side of giving people less information. Where did where where did that hinder them? You think where where to go too fast? I I think what went too fast was it's not the script. It's how fast the plot moves. So like every, not everybody. Some people complain that it took too long to get to Arrakis, which I don't think is true. Like it was fine. Right. I agree. You don't want to you don't want to just boom, we're on the desert planet. Like take some time setting them up. They don't really want to go there. You know, they're they're leaving a home that is lush and green and full of you know oceans and rain. And now they're going to some desert planet that nobody wants to go to to do a job that has been done not well, but done by someone else for like 80 years or something. And so there's, that's fine. Plenty of good setup about what's what's to expect and um, how they're going to adapt to that and everything. And then, like the next day, there's a coup and they all get murdered. <laughs> and I know it's not supposed to happen overnight, 
but the film goes through that real quickly. Like they get set up, they have a day or two, and then all of a sudden they're betrayed and everything happens. And like, then they spend the next hour fleeing from that, trying to escape. You know, how do we get away from this? We've been betrayed. Oh no, we have to flee into the desert. You know, I think you could have like swapped that, you know, show that it takes a little longer for them to get in, you know, have them be entrenched so that when this coup happens, and Paul and the main characters have to flee and lose their lives. It doesn't look like they were just waiting for it to happen, yeah. which is kind of what was happening. They were like, well, we, we knew this wasn't a good assignment and something was probably up. And oh my God, we were right. But like, if you have them try to settle in, then it makes it a lot harder and more heartbreaking that they get betrayed by the emperor and all this other stuff. Yeah. Like, so at, 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 marker 16 percent of the book i'm basically halfway through the movie Hmm. like the last thing that happened in the book to me was the little um you know robot killer drone thing cuts through the wall and just tries to kill paul Uh, tries to murder him yeah yeah and that's about you know that's just before the the big battle where they get wiped out by the harkonnen and starts the whole exodus of Paul and his mother into the desert. I, I, I'm not sure if that's exactly halfway through, but like that's a good chunk of the film through. It's like it's not even 20% of the book. You know, there's a whole lot more. So even if you cut the book in half, it's not even half of a half. And you've, you know, you've, you've, you've gotten through half the story. And like that, that's where the, yeah. So like that's, that is something I felt did seem to happen rather quickly. Like they, they showed up. You get a sense of how things are going, that they're kind of screwed in terms of like what's been sabotaged and left behind and how dangerous certain things are. And um and they yeah, they haven't got much time there before everything goes to hell. And um yeah, so that that was kinda quick, but but I thought overall, like just the fact that they gave you so little to worry about, I think that was the the might have been their thinking in terms of writing the script was just like if we give the if we if we say more stuff it's more stuff they have to recall so let's just not do that let's just give them the very very bare bones of it these are good guys these are really bad guys these are the emperor's bad guys there's basically three players involved in this and you know this is what's going to happen there's a mysterious fourth group the fremen that you know have some unexplained connection to Paul and he's going to end up joining them. Like you just, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's abstract expressionism in in certain ways. Like they're just not going to give you the information. Your, your, your brain will have to fill in the rest of it for you. And I imagine people will find that frustrating. And I imagine that you know, few of them will do what I'm doing, which is to, to you know, to pick up the, you know, 800-page book and then try to figure out what was going on. But um, I don't think there's, an, there's like, a better way to do it. Well, I mean, I think they, they... The visuals help. Now, the movie certainly looked expensive. I didn't... Yeah, I don't you like saw every this, dollar on the screen. I don't like this guy's sense of style when he's doing these, like... Blade Runner, he did the sequel to Blade Runner too. Mm-hmm. And the parts of that I caught, I also didn't like this style that like there's this sheen to everything. It, it looks it looks fake, you know? And, and I think it's interesting that in Blade Runner and in this, you have these gritty areas that don't look grit. They look like movie sets, you know? Like the original Blade Runner, I mean, also because it was made for, you know, a pack of gum. <laughs> it, it's it's gritty and grimy and dirty, and they're living in a dystopian future. And the sequel doesn't look like that. First of all, you have Ryan Gosling. And then you also have, you know, everything's like perfected to this mirror sheen. It looks really neat and clean and big. And Dune looks big. And when they wander around, they don't even look sweaty. There's no sand on everything. Yeah, that's that 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 like <laughs> that did bother you know, me. I'm like, why does everyone look so clean? Everybody yeah. looks clean. It, and I'm not saying like 
like they should look dirty and it would be better. I'm just saying like it has that feel of it's a movie, you know, and it's and it's an expensive movie. Nothing looks lived in. It's like you're watching it from behind glass in a museum. I, I don't know. It's just an odd aesthetic to me that this this director has. Yeah, and I think I mean I've I've only ever seen two of his movies: this and Arrival. And Arrival doesn't yeah, even Arrival. have that. Yeah, Arrival yeah. is great. I actually rewatched it recently because I was like, I I liked it when I first saw it, but I don't think I really gave it a full going over and then watching it again I'm like yeah no this is excellent this is again yeah, a really unconventional sci-fi type movie with very conventional things like aliens <laughs> like yeah. very but this the visuals as as expensive looking as they are are doing very basic work you know the Atreides are wearing black in the beginning and then they're wearing gray when they get to, to Arrakis the bad guys are wearing black the um what do they call them the emperor's soldiers or whatever the sadukar yeah they're wearing white but with like creepy helmets like it everyone looks a distinct way that that helps you in your brain remember if, if i can't pronounce this then and like when they don't wear the helmets they have like creepy faces with like tattoos and stuff on them you know it's easy visual clues that will let you know what's going on so yeah, and that's I doing think, a lot of the heavy lifting too, and and there's a lot of that in the book too. There's a lot of very visually descriptive language. They talk about the Fremen's eyes being blue, um, a, a, a great deal. Um, the different markers people have on their body to to indicate um, their status and their rank. Um, there's just there's lots of descriptions of what people look like, and you know, and how they. You know, and how that how 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 they are visually designed by the author informs a lot about who they are. Like, like I haven't gotten to everybody yet, but gotten to you know to to the Baron, to 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 the Duke, and to the kid. Um, what do you think of the kid? By the way, I, I this is my first time encountering Timothy Chalamet. I've heard the name for years. I don't know why. <laughs> He's like, I guess, the new young heartthrob kind of guy. Yeah, but he was fine. Yeah, he was okay. It's that's a hard part to play, I would think, because you got to be pretty, you know, old without being, without losing some of your innocence and naivete. Because the he's the closest thing the audience has to like an entry character, like a, a character that g brings you into the story. I think that's the difference between this kind of science fiction and other and other science fiction that that that, that you and I watch is there is no character here that the audience can kind of latch onto and learn things through, because pretty soon into the story, Paul is doing stuff. They're going, "Huh, where'd you learn how to do that?" And he went, "I don't know. I just figured it out." Like, there's no way to go along with the, you know with the character like Luke Skywalker does nothing and so he, he asks all the questions that all the characters have to give him the information and by extension give them to us too there isn't that here everyone knows everything already and so how do you give the audience information when you don't have a character that's asking for it you know he does it a little bit but not a lot he does a little bit he, he's okay he's he's worse in the book like he's not a great guy in the book a lot of there's a big time jump and and he spends a lot of time in the desert and he basically becomes like their savior and he uses that as political leverage and everything it, it, it's very odd he's very subdued in this so timothy chalamet has the good like i'm a young good looking guy and i'm just gonna stare in awe or in horror at most things like like neo in the matrix just like oh you know yeah and that, that's all he needs to do the, the, there are aspects of these type of stories that you're not gonna that will not be palatable to a modern audience, and I think enough time has passed between when this was written and when the 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 Lord of the Rings was written where you you're not gonna be able to do certain things. So for I mean the clearer example in this, although they did do it in the eighty four version, is the um, the fact that the Baron is a homosexual. 
and he like has fun basically raping and then murdering young men. And there's a scene of that in the in the movie, which apparently bothered a lot of people back in the, in the eighties, with good reason. Um, so you you can't have that be a thing in this. It's just that it it wouldn't fly. But also with Lord of the Rings, and I guess a, a little bit too with what you what you, you're you're describing of Paul later on in the story. So Frodo and Samwise have a relationship, um, very much not American. It's a very British relationship. And so like having seen the show Downton Abbey, which is the most British thing ever, um, like the, the beginning of that show is this guy showing up to work at this, um, at this great house as a valet, which is like basically like, like a personal butler. He gets you dressed, he does, does all these kind of intimate things with you in terms of, you know, managing your, you know, physical appearance and clothes and things. Um, and in the story, the guy that shows up is, is, is like a half cripple. He has like the use of his, like half of his, like one leg. It was, it was, he, he was wounded in a, in a war where he served as the Batman to the guy he now works for as his valet. And that relationship um, is steeped in status and rank, which is a very British thing. And it, w- it would not translate well to an American audience, which was the primary audience for Lord of the Rings. So instead of having an older Frodo and a younger Samwise, or having a an aristocratic Frodo, which is what he is in the book, and a sort of like more commoner Samwise, you get this sort of like egalitarian version of the t- of, of the two characters, and it doesn't work, and it always bugged me. They always seemed like Sam was like in love with Frodo, and he had this weird kind of like bizarre relationship with him that was based not on his position re- relative to Frodo, but it, it didn't have it wasn't grounded in in anything, and so I imagine that in this. They're going to get rid of some of the whole, like, I'm going to use myself as a possible, like, deity to these people as leveraged against my uh, my enemies because we wouldn't like that if people did that today. So it doesn't translate well, you know, to, um, to, to today's modern audience, which is going to be a barrier for that. But um, I think my biggest problem is it's not it's not him. It's not timothy chalamet or anything it's the (laughs) sorry there's there's so much emphasis on the plot and making it look pretty that there aren't any converse there's only one conversation in the whole movie where you get a good inside look at what timothy chalamet's character is actually thinking and what he's doing everything else just sort of happens you know like they never stop and think about what it is they need to do. They just go out and do it. And all that stuff is just done by like strange vision voiceovers by Zendaya, which make it feel really slow. You know, like he's supposed to be learning that he was the products of some sort of genetic experimentation product, product, you know, project that's been going on for decades, possibly hundreds of years. And they're trying to create some sort of savior and he has superpowers. And it's like, he just shrugs at everything like, yeah, okay, mom. Okay. <laughs> I'll do what I need to do. And like, he has that, that long talk with his dad where the dad does all the talking, you know, cause he's like, maybe I don't want to be a politician, but he doesn't say what else he wants to be. He doesn't mention it. It, it mm-hmm. only happens when the coup happens. His father dies. He flees the desert with his mother and they end up staying in like a tent inside the, under the sand so they can stay away from their enemies and he freaks out at her that he's like I'm just some sort of genetic freak experiment to you oh, I hate you and I'm like oh my god emotion and then <laughs> it like it goes away once they get out in the morning he's like alright let's go find the Fremen and we'll uh, you know join them like it, it happens so fast because they're all going down this like predetermined path you know even when uh his father gets betrayed by like his doctor 
there's just the shrug like i betrayed you oh yes and then like that guy doesn't last more than four minutes either so there were no scenes where they had to slow down and talk about how they felt about anything it was a little disorienting yeah i mean they there is little emphasis placed on choice in this story like even the basic premise of the you know the the whole the whole thing is 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 just they know what's going to happen in the book too like they're saying like the emperor is a jealous person who's afraid of the success of that of the house of atreides He's also afraid of the fact that the the Harkonnen have made so much money off of the the spice, and so he's like, "Well, what do I do? I don't know. I'll get them to fight each other, and I'll pick one of them to back, and that way, you know." And so, like, wh- when they show up, and you know, they say, "You're you're going to Arrakis and taking it over." They're kind of like, "Why? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense." Oh, it's because you want to kill us all. Now it makes much more sense. So the fact that they seem to believe that they have no control, you know, over their own destiny is a pretty big theme here. I mean, like it's on a small scale when he sees the future in his dreams. It's the first thing I ask him. Like, do you dream about things that come true? He goes, "Yeah, all the time. It happens all the time." And you know. The, the herald shows up, tells them what's going on, and I think you know Paul asks his father, "Like, do we have to accept it?" He goes, "Like, of course we do. Like, there's no option to not accept it because that would have consequences that are theoretically worse than what's going to happen to them." But I wonder if that's really true. So it's the concept of feeling trapped, like you're part of a story that you're not in control of, seems to be a pretty common explored theme in this. And so like it doesn't give you much chance to feel anything (laughs) other than frustration, which is what he feels at that point in in the story. Like even their just their reactions, like he reacts to that at that in that scene. And I was surprised because it was the first time that he like one raised his voice, but also that he that he showed that he had some opinion on that. You know, that his life more than anyone's has been manipulated and you know he's he's a pawn in many people's games and because when in i guess in the second movie or or definitely in the book when he plays into that and he does what they end up wanting him to do it it backfires spectacularly on all of them and and it works to his advantage because at that point he's basically superman he you know he's space jesus (laughs) <laughs> and and so like you never see that moment where he decides I'm going to now do what they told me to do but they're not going to like it I'm going to do it from my own ends like there's none of that here there's just nothing he's just going through going through the desert because he's having visions I'm like oh visions aren't enough motivation where's the internal problems here yeah but you're so distracted by everything that you don't really notice so yeah that's basically what a lot of the visuals serve to do in just to giving you information about how things operate. It's just to basically all you into not worrying about the fact that like there's no character developing happening. They're just not in the traditional them. way. Yeah, there's moving them just and, and and I think that's part of what this is. It's not a traditional story, at least the first half. Like, you know, if what you're saying is true about the, about the second part of the story, you know, it's a rebellion against the first part, which is that the first part is that no one has any agency and we're all doing these things. And some of us think we do, but we, but we really don't. And, you know, the Bene Gesserit think they do cause they're, you know, basically space sex, which is having, you know, breeding people to get them to, you know, produce a certain kind of offspring. And then, you know, then, the Spice Guild and the, or the, the, the Space Guild and then the Harkonnen, they're all trying to control things and no one really seems to have any control and then he'll take control later. Um, but you're right, it won't be what, <laughs> it won't be how they expect it to happen, which makes me curious to see how that happens. And if they do that, if they lean into the opposite of what they have here, 
which is just everyone is sort of tethered to this story. Mm. And when someone becomes untethered, that might be really interesting. So, what do you think of the ending? Because the, 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 apparently the thing that they kept saying was, oh, no, 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 it's part one, which they didn't deny, but they also said, like, but we've made it seem like a complete movie. And I thought the ending was the exact opposite of making it seem like a complete movie. It just literally just stops. Yeah, I mean, when I first watched it, I was like, oh, it's over. And then when I thought about it, I mean, it made sense. It made a little bit of sense that that's where it stopped. He was deciding to turn his back on everything, you know, because he says, the mom says, we need to get off this planet. We need to rally our political allies. And he goes, no, 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 we should stay. Our, our allies are here. We just need to meet them and gain their trust and become on their side instead. And then like that becomes their new, their new journey. And I was like, that's as good a place as any. Yeah. The story doesn't really have any point where you can do that. Yeah. It, it, it definitely didn't feel like a complete movie because it can't like that. And you're right. Like the, like why n- nothing more to do. Someone had said that like, you know, it's an act break. Uh, that's all. Essentially, yeah. Somebody had said, I can't remember who it was, that like, you know, maybe the, you know, the movie should end before he kills that guy. Before, spoilers, you know, before the fight. You know, like, you get they get ready, and then they, and they, they do, a, like, a hard cliffhanger. I don't like those. And I was like, well, yeah, but, like, if you're stuck between, like, a rock and a hard place, you can't make the movie five hours long. Um, but, you know, although I, I will look forward to, you know, like, I, like one, one of the things I'd like to do is when Dune 2 comes out. Because, <laughs> by the way, they didn't film it yet. Yeah, they just greenlit it. I was, I, I just assumed that, like, you know, we'll get it next year, and no, it's not coming anytime soon. They have to, they have to go make it. But um, it, 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 tr- trilogies are a big thing, but I actually think that two part stories are actually kind of nice, in a way. Two part stories are fine, and like and I, this one ended fine because. When he makes that decision to go into the desert, you can't take that back. Okay. Yeah. It's a point of no return. So that's just that's as good a point as any to say this part is done because now we can't go back and do the things we all wanted to do in the last hour and a half. So now the next part is going to be what the consequences of that decision are. Yeah. Mm, writing 101. Right. And yeah. uh, you can you can wrap things up in two parts. Doesn't always have to be three. But also, too, like as an audience, too, like that's generally how we go and see plays. Like I've been to one play where there were two intermissions because the play was almost four hours. It was uh, Tracy Letts's August Osage County, and it it didn't feel long because the play was so incredibly good. But the intermissions, which were which were imperative did feel like it like it made it feel longer at, at that point but i wonder like you know when this comes out we should probably sit down and like watch dune one again go to dinner <laughs> have a break and then go watch the actual movie like this or the, the 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 second part of the movie oh good you that, making little dates but like that would be a nice evening <laughs> but like that would be how i would have done this if if you said to me Dune's coming out, and it's two parts, and it's going to take us eight hours to watch it. But in the middle of that, we get to have like a meal. I'd be like, that would be a thing I would do. Like we 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 go to the event. You you watch the first you first half. You you take a break. You get up. You walk around, and then you come back for the second half in, in like an hour and a half. Like that would be a fun thing to do. Yeah, that's fine. So, but anyway, any other thoughts about? The movie? No, it was it was good. It was fine. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll go see the next one. Sure. Yeah. Why not? It's, it's, it's nice to have something that's not. You know, and I know always people complain. I like superhero movies, but you know, it's nice to take a break. <laughs> yeah. 
And I think what I'd like to do is, I, you know, is, is I'll finish the book and then we can we can watch the '84 version just to see what exactly that was because I'm very curious I, now. I, yeah, I, I don't know. That, all I've ever heard is that it was awful. Yeah, like even as a movie that if you don't even know anything about Dune, they were just like, "This is just bizarre, crappy '80s sci-fi." So. Yeah. All right. Well, if you, if you Dune fanatics out there have, have any thoughts that you want to share with us about your thoughts on the movie, you should do so on Twitter or Instagram. We are at Three Drinks in Pod on both. You can find us on Facebook. You can email us at Three Drinks in Podcast at gmail dot com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening. Leave ratings and reviews. Oh, and check out the uh, the merch store over there at T Public. I forgot to mention that earlier. Um. Yeah, that's everything, right? Yeah, that's it. All right. As always, please drink responsibly, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.